The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. Well, good morning, everyone. So excited to uh, be in this Real God series, and it's just been phenomenal, the stories that we've been hearing and the things that this series has been stirring up in people, the hunger to grow. And I kind of want to touch on that hunger to grow before I get into my message this morning. Uh, Many of you know that we support what we call global partners at Word of Grace. That means when you give financially, we take 10% of that giving, and we redistribute that to uh, help other ministries all over the world, some here locally in Sheboygan County. And it's really an amazing uh, opportunity for a church family just to sow into and invest in ministries that we feel like are partners with us. And there are 12 different ministries that we support every single month. And so when you give, you're helping to support those ministries as well. You can always find out more information about our global partners over on our global tower over by the cafe. If you've ever ever wondered what that black tower is over there that has that TV screen on it, you can go over there and learn a little bit more about our global partners. We post every single week any new uh, communications that we get from those global partners on that tower, so you'll actually be able to see what's going on in those different ministries. And one of the ministries we support is called the Bible Project. The Bible Project is uh, an incredible ministry that has taken the Bible and broken down different segments of Scripture and put it into short animated videos, and they're on YouTube, all right? And it's completely free, and it's something that they started making, and we kind of got in on the ground floor of it when they only had about four or five books of the Bible done. And we believed in what they were doing and immediately said, we want to help them make more videos because it was a crowdfunded project to make more videos. So we said, let's get in on this and help them to create more videos. Now, not only have they finished the entire Bible, but they're now venturing into areas like wisdom, prayer, reading scripture more. Um, The guy that really uh, spearheads this His name is Tim Mackey, and he is an incredible teacher, incredible theologian. This guy knows his Hebrew. He's been trained in Hebrew and in Jewish culture and tradition, so it's really a great way to go deeper in Scripture, and it's an easy way. And it's also something that's not over your head, but yet it gives you enough depth to stir up that hunger. And what they send us every quarter are these Bible Project quarterlies. And you may have seen these, and you're wondering, like, what are these things? I've seen these at guest services, right? Well, I thought this would be a great time to talk about these just for a moment, because so far they put out three of them. Reading Scripture, Prayer, and Wisdom. And these are, they just give these to our church to, you know, invest in our church family. So I would encourage you, these are at guest services. I would love for you to take advantage of these materials to learn more about the Bible Project, because it's an investment in your spiritual growth, and it may be something that really connects with you that maybe you could even use for a family devotion. I mean, the videos are only like 10 minutes each, so it's not like it's some huge hour-long thing. It's a, a great way to just know more about this real God that we're seeking to know, because we know that how, how we see God is the most important thing about us, and out of all of the attributes that we have talked about, about God. We've talked about His goodness. We've talked about His holiness. We've talked about His sovereignty. We've talked about His justice. We've talked about His wisdom. And today we're going to talk about His love. But before we do that, church, can we just humble our hearts and go to the Lord in prayer today? Gracious Heavenly Father, come before you today and ask you to speak your word to your people in a way that will please you, honor you, communicate the truth about your love to all of us. Help me to get out of the way any, anything that may be a hurdle that is my flesh. I pray, God, it will just completely be removed so your spirit can speak to our hearts today. So Lord, I pray that you would use me to speak your truth and that you would anoint all of our ears and our hearts to be receptive to hear and then to take it a step further to not only be hearers of the word but to be doers of the word. Help us to be attentive, hungry, humble, seeking to know you more, willing to give up what we believe for the truth found in scripture. 
Because, Lord, we don't want to pursue our idea of you. We want to pursue who Scripture says that you are and who you want to reveal yourself to us as through Scripture and through your Holy Spirit today. Do it, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So out of all of the attributes of the real God that we've talked about over these past seven weeks, I think that love would be the one that we would say we have the best grasp on. Or we think we would. We would think, oh, we get that. God is love. We say that all the time. We may even use it in arguments with other people about things that God would or wouldn't do based on our understanding of what we think love is and how we know God is love. And so we use that all the time and we understand this loving attribute of God. The most famously quoted scripture probably is John 3:16. And when we hear John 3:16, we know that God so loved the world and we hear about the love of God. We sang about the love of God this morning and we feel like we've get it. We, but, but after all, we know God is love and we know that he gave up his son for the world. But I believe that our filter and our perception of understanding God's love, the one that we think we get the best, I would, I would submit to you today that it's probably a very misunderstood attribute of God as well, especially in our day. It's the, world, the, it's the word that we attach our personal philosophy and definition of what is good to that word. God loves me, so good things should be happening to me. If bad things are happening to me, I must not be doing enough good. Thus, I'm not experiencing the love of God. And we think that God's love is conditional, that it's attached somehow to our behavior. But let me tell you today that God's love is unconditional. Do you believe that? God's love is unconditional. I mean, I know that we know this if you've been around church very long. You've probably heard this, you've probably written it down, and you've probably even said it or sang it, but do we really believe that God's love is unconditional? Can I tell you that God loves you right where you are? I think about that for a minute. Right where you are. I don't know what's going on in every single life that's represented here in this room, or that's out in the commons, or that's watching online. I don't, I don't know what's going on in every single one of your lives. I don't know the things that you're struggling with. I don't know the things that you're wrestling with. I don't know the things that set you off and make you angry. I don't know the sin that you're, you're, you're in this cycle of repeating these bad habits. I, I don't know all of those things about every single person. And in spite of all of that, God's love is unconditional. He still loves you right where you're at. Think about the last time you did something bad. Did it take very long? <laughs> I mean, something you knew like this was wrong. This was, a bad, this was a bad thing. This was wrong. I shouldn't have done this. Did you know that when you did that thing, God didn't all of a sudden just stop loving you because you did that thing? Now, it grieves him, just like it grieves us as parents when our children do wrong. But that doesn't change the fact that I love my children. God still loves us in spite of the fact that we've done something wrong. Just like when we have newborns, I think that we understand this a little bit more if you've ever had a baby before, because that baby, that newborn, they do nothing other than eat, sleep, cry, and poop. That's all they do all day long. They, you know what? They did not, they have not yet mastered any certain skills that are impressive to the world or useful to the world. They have not gotten a 4.0 GPA. They haven't made any good moral decisions at all. They had not been obedient to any of my instructions. But I still love them nonetheless, just like you love your children. And like any good parent would love their children, even though they haven't done anything, because it's an unconditional love. Those babies were ours. They're, they're part of us. And our Father loves us with an unconditional love that has nothing to do with our performance. We can reject that love, but that doesn't change the fact that God loves us. We can reject it all day long. We can run away from it. We can try to escape it. 
But it doesn't change the fact that God loves us because God loved you first. Let that sink in. God loved you first. So it wasn't like you worked really hard to get to a certain point and God went, yep, now I'm going to love you. No, he loved you first. Go over to Romans chapter 5 if you have your Bible today. Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 1. Romans 5 and 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received reconciliation. Did you hear what Paul was writing to the church in Rome? As he was trying to clarify how deep this love is that God has for us? That we have been justified, we've been made right in the eyes of God because of Christ. And when did he do it? He said, while you were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for those who were outright rejecting him. He loved us so much that he went first. Because scripture says that maybe a good person somebody will be willing to give up their life for. Maybe like someone that people would say, that's a good person. I'll be willing to trade places with them. But he said, no, it wasn't when you were good. It was actually when you were sinning, when you were ungodly. This is when Christ said, I love you so much. I'm going to die for you when you're in that condition. Folks, I don't know what that does to you. But that should stir worship in our hearts and gratitude and thankfulness in us because of the, the wonderful love of God. God went first and showed his love by giving his only son. Jesus, Paul said in Romans 5, absorbed the wrath of God that we're going to be saved from. The, the wrath of God that we rightly deserve because of our sin and because of God's justice. But his love, it changes our eternity. And it changes our present state as well. So what does that mean to be loved by God? What does that mean when God chose us first? God went first. God loves you. All these things. What does that really mean to be loved by God? Is it just an ooey-gooey, warm, fuzzy feeling? Is that what it means to be loved by God? Oh, I feel fuzzy on Sunday at church when they sing my song. Like, that's my jam. You know, the one that I'm like, mm-hmm. You could sing that one a little bit longer. And you feel the fuzzies and you feel the warmth. Is that the love of God? Listen, the love of God goes way beyond your feelings because it's unconditional. It's his unconditional affection, his correction, his guidance. It all compels us to serve him, to seek him, to want to worship him, and to commit our lives to him. It's not just the warm fuzzies. 
It's his affection, yes. It's, it's the fact that, that we can be more aware of his presence, that we can definitely boldly go to him and approach him because of Jesus. And definitely, I, I would hope that we would at times experience a, a feeling of being loved by God. But folks, even when God corrects us, he's still loving us. When we're being challenged by him, when we feel like we're just completely running from him, doesn't matter what state that you're in, he's still loving you. His love doesn't fail. Over in Romans chapter 8, Paul writes about the depth of God's love. Go over to Romans 8. We're going to look at verse 31 through 39. Romans chapter 8, Paul says, what are we going to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it God? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, he loved us first, and his love is very personal. God's love is not this distant love. It's very personal. It's very relational. That's why when we talk about having a relationship with God, That means that we're going on this journey that God is inviting us to be a part of, to get to know Him more, to learn what it means to serve Him, to learn more about His love, to learn more about who He is and how we can please Him with our lives because we see what He's done for us. And the more that our eyes are open to see the height, the depth, and and, and the width of God's love and we begin to know that more, man, it compels us to just want to love Him more. To love other people the way that he's loved us. To do the things he's done to us and for us because now it's not a checklist of, oh, I have to do this because, but rather it's something I'm compelled to do because I'm knowing this God and experiencing his love more and more every day. And the more that I, I'm serving him, the, the longer that I'm serving him, and the more I'm committing my, my life to know him more and to pursue him, the more that actually I should be changing to show that love. Because it's, man, it's not a tenure thing. Are you hearing me this morning? It's not a tenure thing. We get this in our minds that somehow we've earned something when we've been a Christian or we've been attending church for so long. And we can say, well, I've been a Christian for 30 years or 40 years or 50 years or 60 years. I've been following Jesus all this time. That's great. It's great that you can say, I've been a Christian. I've been following Christ that long. But how long have you been pursuing to get to know him more? Because that's really what matters at the end of the day. It's not a number of how long you've been a Christian. No more than we can say, oh, I've been married to my spouse for 40 years. Well, what's the quality of your marriage been like over those 40 years? Are you pursuing to get to know your spouse more? Is the quality increasing as the length of years increases? Or are you just learning kind of how to tolerate each other? I got the ring. I'm married. We live in the same house. She does her thing. I do my thing. What type of relationship is that? Oh, I've been married 40, 50 years. That's great. What's the quality of your relationship like? So I would want to invite you today to do a personal assessment of the quality of the relationship that you have with Jesus. The quality of the relationship. What type of pursuit 
do we have with our lives as far as pursuing God goes? Because it is personal. It's not this distant thing that we get to say, I've been doing this for so long. What if you've been doing it wrong for a long time? Or what if you've just been coasting the whole time? God wants us to know him. The longer we have been a Christian, listen to me, the longer we have been a Christian, we have been following Christ, the more like him we should be. The more people should be able to know that we're a Christian. Not because we've been attending a church for a long time, but because our life is reflecting the fact that we know him. And people can perceive about the way that we live our lives, the way we interact with other people, the integrity and the moral character in which we live with. When we stand up to, to, to things that are evil or when we, when we uh, will, are willing to do what will honor God in the face of adversity and people are able to perceive there's something different about this person. It's not just that they're a nice person because there's people who aren't Christians that are nice people. I know people that aren't believers. I know people that are straight up atheists that are super nice people and very generous and very philanthropic. I personally know some people that do not believe in God, but they're really nice people. So it's not about just being a really nice, philanthropic, happy-go-lucky, friendly person. It's about, are you pursuing Jesus? Is there a noticeable difference there's, there, there, there's got to be a noticeable difference. Even some of Jesus' disciples. Man, there was a time where, where, where there was a group of people, they said, we can tell. We can tell. We perceive these men have been with Jesus. There's something different about them. There's a noticeable difference. Is there a noticeable difference in us? Or are we just checking the box of another year, read my Bible through? That's great that you read your Bible through in a year, but are you learning anything about God? It's great that you mark off that you're hitting the church service every Sunday, but are you pursuing God more? It's not just about praying a certain amount of time. It's not just about reading your Bible a certain amount of time. It's not just about being a nice person at work and being a, a good person. No. Are we pursuing God? Because this is a personal deal. And this is the difference. This is the difference maker between following Christ and following any other good moral religion. It's Jesus. And it's the fact that this is the only way, the only faith that invites the believer and the follower to get to know the creator. Every other religion puts a big distance and a big gap between what they would call their deity and then those that would follow that deity. But following the one true God is the only one that invites us to know our God personally. Why would we not take advantage of that? Why would we not seek to know him more? Because God's love is very personal. He is, he is God and he is holy, but holy doesn't mean distant. He's holy, but he's close. Jesus did the best job of anybody explaining the heart of God. If you want to know what God's like, don't you think Jesus would do a pretty good job? Kind of like God describing God, right? Like, this is what the heart of God is like. Let me just show you. I think Jesus, being God in the flesh, would do the best job of that. So why don't we let Jesus do it instead of me? Over in Luke chapter 15, why don't you go over there? We're going to let Jesus explain to us this love of God and the heart of our God that we serve and how he's inviting us into a personal relationship. Luke chapter 15. I would encourage you to... Don't just read Luke 15 just while I'm reading it. Why don't you take this and actually read this at home as well? Why don't you take some time today and just read it and maybe even have a piece of paper or a journal or a notebook or something beside you and just write down the things that you notice about the heart of God and let God just speak to you through Luke chapter 15 today. We're going to read the whole thing. Luke 15, verse 1 I love the way this starts out. <laughs> Luke 15 and verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious people, they grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to tell you a story. Isn't it interesting that Jesus responds with a parable? He doesn't go after them. He doesn't tell them why they're wrong. No, instead he begins to tell them what God's like. 
Jesus is saying, I, I understand that you want to criticize me for hanging out with sinners, but let me tell you a little bit about what the heart of God is. Verse 3, so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors. And he says to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the whole house, seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends, her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Verse 11, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and he drew near to the house and heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat. Wow, that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and now he's found. To the critics, to those who would say, how dare you eat with those tax collectors, those sinners. How dare you spend time with those people? Jesus told these three stories. Jesus told about this, this man with his sheep, told about this woman with her coin, and he told the story about this son who had run away from home with all of his inheritance and did his own thing and then decided he wanted to come back maybe just to get a job as a slave, but instead he gets welcomed back as a son. And then there was a, an older brother that was jealous, didn't understand, and the father said, this is my value system. This is what's important. My son was dead, but he's alive. He's come home. You see, this is the heart of God for you, for me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were rebellious towards God, Christ died for the ungodly. His love is personal. What's this image of God that you have in your mind when you fail, when you do something that you know displeases God? Do you think God is all of a sudden then distant and that there's this great gap between you and God? Or maybe you don't feel like you're ever good enough. 
before God. And you feel like that prodigal, you feel like that person that maybe he'll accept me as a slave. Maybe if I just do, maybe then I can somehow earn my way back into some sort of relationship with him. And that was not the reception that that son got at all. The father ran to him. The father embraced him. The father gave him things he did not deserve because this kid wasted everything on prostitutes and frivolous living. All of the inheritance that he had been given, which he demanded up front, which basically he was not supposed to get until the father had died. And so he's basically telling his dad, you're dead to me. I would rather you be dead. I don't want anything to do with you. And so even in that type of fierce ugliness and rebellion and disconnect from the father, saying, I don't want anything to do with you. I wish you were dead. Why don't you just go ahead and give me what belongs to me? And he goes out and does his own thing. And man, you would think after that type of rebellion, you would think 99 sheep's pretty good, right? You would think 99 sheep is pretty good. You would think one lost coin, really? What does that even matter? Like I find pennies around the house and in the couch cushions, right? You're like, what does it even matter? But, but he says, this is the value system of heaven. You want to be critical of Jesus spending time with sinners? He says, this is the heart of God. This is the love of God that is inviting you in. It's personal. He's not distant. He's personal. And he wants that relationship with you. So it's not about tenure. It's not about title. It's not about accomplishments. It's about relationship. Am I pursuing to know God more? Am I pursuing to say, God, I, I want to know who you really are. I want to know you through your word. I want to know you through fellowshipping with you. I want to spend that time with you. And it's not about, did I check it off today? Did I get it done? And then I just move on. But it is personal. Chip Ingram said this in his book, The Real God. The love of God is giving a person what they need the most when they deserve it the least and with a great personal cost to the giver. Isn't that beautiful? The love of God is giving a person what they need the most when they deserve it the least with a great cost, personal cost, to the giver. He not only accepts me with his love and comforts me, but he also corrects me with his love. Romans 2 and 4 says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's a confrontational love. It's not a love that says, you just keep on doing that sin you're doing and we're good because my love is, is, is still there. No, yes, his love is unconditional and he is still there, but he does not want you to soak and saturate and marinate in your sin either because Jesus has bought and paid the price for you to be free from sin. And if you know Christ, the more you know him, you should realize you're free. You don't have to live in bondage to that pornography. You don't have to live in bondage to mismanagement of finances and looking for things to satisfy some hole in your soul. You don't have to go out working 60, 70, 80 hours a week just to try to, to, to buy all these things you think you have to have. Listen, folks. God wants to invite you in. Yes, to love you, but also to correct you. To bring his loving correction. That man, when God corrects us sometimes, man, I'll tell you what, it's hard. God has been bringing me through a personal revival, through correcting me in some areas in my life, some attitudes I've had. Some things I didn't even realize were sinful that he showed me. Man, I remember back in January, our staff went up to St. Norbert's at the Abbey and spent three days just seeking God and spending time in prayer and in his word. And we would come together at night and we would share kind of what God's been doing in us. And the things that God was doing in me during those days has continued every single day since where he's opening my eyes, where I'm repenting of things that I didn't even know were there. God's peeling that, that onion back and he's confronting me and challenging me with selfishness, with pride, with 
all sorts of things, a, a mis, misdirected focus on, in areas of my life. And he's reorienting my heart and my focus back to the things that really matter and that are really important. And the things that I used to champion and think were important over here, God's saying, no, that's not important. Let me realign your priorities with my priorities because that's what the love of God does. He doesn't do it in a way where he's going, oh, you big dummy. Oh, you idiot. Don't you see? No, it's, it's a loving correction, but it's stern enough that I know that it's the Lord. It's stern enough, I know it's the Lord. It's not a, oh, if you want to, would you rather please do this instead of that? It's not this soft thing. It's more like a, this is wrong, I'm showing it to you, and when I see it, I'm grieved over it. And I don't like being grieved over things in myself because I think I'm doing pretty good compared to some people. And God says, that's the problem. You're comparing yourself to other people. You shouldn't compare your marriage to that other person's marriage. You shouldn't compare how your kids are acting compared to how other people's kids. You shouldn't compare how you're managing your financial resources the way that someone else is managing their resources. You shouldn't compare the way you treat your spouse, the way someone else treats their spouse. What you should do is you should say, God, what pleases you? And do that thing. God, what pleases you? And do that thing. That's what we need to do. And when you do that, let me give you a warning. 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 He's going to get up in your business because he is personal. He is personal. And he will show you things about yourself that it's sinful and it will grieve you. But it's a good grief. It's a good grieving. It's a good mourning. We should mourn and grieve over our sin. But we shouldn't get stuck in it. We should be able to go, but I'm forgiven. And we should be able to walk with our heads held high, confidently knowing our God has forgiven us but that that sin, it is ugly, and I see the effect of it, and I don't want to do that anymore. So God, help me do what's going to please you and honor you. Help me to live in that type of way. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Still, even Hebrews 12 and 6 said, the Lord disciplines those who he loves. Just like a father disciplines a son he delights in. He's a very personal God, and in his love he will correct us. He wants us to refocus on what matters most. So how do we respond to this love? How do we have this relationship with God? Well, we need to receive, we need to believe, and we need to share God's love by faith to experience His love. That's what we need to do. We need to receive it by faith, and we need to believe it. And I'm not talking about believe it like I just believe it in my heart and I've made this decision that, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in that. I mean a deep trust where I'm saying, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you and believe on what you say, whatever pleases you, whatever honors you. If I see in your word, as I pursue knowing you more, something that's out of sync, I'm going to go, I don't like that. <laughs> but... My flesh that doesn't like that, I'm going to crucify that flesh and deny my flesh and say, God, I want to choose life. I want to choose what's going to bring you glory. And that's a journey that we all go on. And we should never stop being on that journey. The longer you have been a Christ follower, the longer you have been pursuing and knowing God, man, the, the, the more you should, should just be humbled to see the beauty of God, the more humble we should be to be teachable, not to be know-it-alls the older that we get in our relationship with God. The more that we should have compassion for other people, the longer we've been following Jesus. Oh, our compassion for others should be so great. So I want to challenge you today. And, and maybe, just maybe God wants to work on your heart today. Maybe God's wanting to confront you. And he's wanting to say, I'm lovingly confronting you today and challenging you. It's not Pastor Derek challenging you. Who cares about Pastor Derek at the end of the day? This is between you and God, okay? I, I, I love you. I'll teach you. I'll, I'll shepherd you and pastor you, but I, I can't stand before God with you. This is between you and God. And this love of God that's been poured out, you need to receive it. You need to believe it. And you need to share it. By faith. So have you received it? That's the question. Have you received it? Do you trust and believe in his love? 
Are you sharing that love with other people? Because the longer you're following him and the more you're pursuing him, the more you should be compelled to do these things. Oh man, the longer we've been really, I mean, come on, the longer we've really actually been pursuing a relationship with Jesus, the more we should be compelled for people who are lost. Our heart should break for that one coin. Our heart should break for that one sheep. We should have overwhelming compassion for those who have left, who have, who have gone away and, and fallen out of that, that, that fellowship and that family. We should be looking for them, just like that father was looking for that son. That's the heart of God. And the more I know God, the more I, I should be transformed in my values, in my heart. And I should be wanting to see those same things because that's the heart of God. And if, my, if I'm not there, if I'm not thinking about that, if I'm not valuing that, and I've just got a long roll of, of tenure and, and checked boxes of church attendance and Bible reading plans, then am I really pursuing God? Or am I just pursuing religious activity? Religious activity is great. But are you knowing him more? Are you seeking to know him more? And we're going to take communion. I shouldn't say that. We're going to receive communion. We don't take it. We're going to receive communion. Even those of you who are out in the commons, please just quiet down whatever may be going on out there. If there's other distractions because this is, this is a holy moment. If, if you're at home, this is a holy moment. Stop scrolling through Facebook. Stop, stop wondering about, uh, about what's going on around you. Just, just try to quiet down the kids if they're around. Because I believe God is in His kindness confronting us. And we're going to receive communion. And, and, and you can go ahead and get your communion elements if you want and open those things up. And we'll take them together in a minute. So if you don't have them, if you, you came in here, maybe we missed you. Just raise your hand. We'll get to you. Or if you need gluten-free wafers, uh, raise your hand. We'll get to you. Okay? <clears throat> it's the love of God that leads us to repentance. I have one over here. It's the love of God that leads us to repentance. And repentance, listen, repentance is not just saying I'm sorry. Sometimes we, we just lightly take this repentance thing. as like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, God, for that. Or asking him to, oh, Lord, will you forgive me for that? That's part of it. Yeah, it's part of it. Saying I'm sorry. But repenting doesn't mean to say I'm sorry. You don't want to know what repentance means, the actual word, what it means? It means to turn. I'm turning away from something and turning to something else. So I would encourage you today, as God is lovingly confronting you with whatever's going on in your life, man, I don't know, but whatever he's lovingly confronting you with today, whatever he's challenging you with, he's calling you to turn away from something and turn towards him. What do you need to turn towards today? Maybe you're turning away from just being about checking boxes and you're turning towards actually pursuing to get to know him more. And, and, and if you're grieved over that, good. That's good. It's good grief, Charlie Brown. It is. It's good grief. It's not meant to shame you. It's not meant to embarrass you. It's meant to help you because that's what any good loving parent would do to try to help their children. We're not trying to shame them, not trying to harm them or hurt them, we're not ostracizing them from the family just because they've done something or haven't done something. No, we're, we're trying to help. And God's wanting to help you today to show you error, to show you ways that maybe there's things in your life where, man, he's saying, you haven't been pursuing to get to know me. He said, because you need to be displaying my heart. The more you get to know me, you're going to reflect my heart. And the more you reflect the heart of God, the more you're going to be looking for the coin, the more you're going to be after that one sheep, the more you're going to be loving that person who is just straight up rebellious and everyone else challenges you for, why are you hanging out with a person like that? 
Why are you hanging out with that tax collector, that sinner? Because I love God and I'm loving what God loves. Because I'm wanting to get to know his heart more. I want to know the real God. Not just showing up for church on Sunday. Hello, somebody. I'm starting to get into sermon 2.0, so. (laughs) Whatever God's doing in you, let that confrontation happen. It is good for you. It is for your good. Why don't we stand together? When we receive communion, we are acknowledging and we are saying, Lord, we need you and we need to be reminded of your goodness, your faithfulness, your holiness. And we invite you, God, to do what only you can do in our hearts and our lives and our minds, in us and through us. It is for your glory, Lord. You knew who was going to show up today. You knew who'd be watching online. You knew who'd be on the comments. You knew everybody that would show up here to worship you today. Or you knew who would even come just out of curiosity or maybe a spouse that got drugged here and just didn't even want to come, but they're here and, and they're being confronted. Lord, do in us what only you can do as we receive Holy Communion today. We take this with reverence today and we say, Lord, it is all because of you and your love. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for this bread and we thank you for what it represents, that blood and that body of Jesus that was broken. And on the night that you were betrayed, you took the bread and you broke it and you gave thanks and you passed it out to everyone that was sitting around the table and you said, take and eat. This is my body that's going to be given for you. I'm going to take stripes on my back for you. I'm going to take punishment for you. My love for you is going to be so big while you were yet sinners. I'm taking all this punishment to absorb the wrath of God so you can escape the wrath of God and you can stand before him and call him Father. That's my love for you. And so, Lord, when we take this today, let us not take this lightly. We receive it with humility and gratefulness and thankfulness and worship today. And we know that you are doing something in us and through us even as we receive this today. In Jesus' name, we thank you for this bread. Amen. Would you take it, church? And Lord, we thank you for the precious blood of Jesus that washes us white as snow. We thank you for that blood. We thank you that that blood speaks better things than that of Abel's that would cry out for vengeance. Your blood cries out mercy. And we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your sovereignty, for your holiness, for your wisdom, for your kindness, Lord, for your justice, for your love. We thank you, God. Help us to continue to be stirred to pursue you as we are grateful for the life-giving blood of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you take the cup? Let's take the next minute. And let's just worship God through this song and let's give God the praise he's worthy of. So remain standing as we sing together.
how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace now, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to Listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit WOGCC.com.